Well done, guys. I do want to say that shouting is a legitimate form of praise. I just want to be clear about that. It's in the scriptures. And um, this is not because we are going to have a romantic um, time this morning. I am continuing. Um, I do hope we end up in a place of intimacy. I'm continuing the series from, uh, that we've been doing in 1 Thessalonians. There's this and then one more preach only to come out of this book. Which I've, Don't you love deep diving into um, some of the books of the Bible and begin to unpack them, get to know the characters of them and the story behind it and, and what God is saying. And I've really enjoyed that. And today I'm preaching, the title of my preach is How the Spirit Speaks Today. And it's from 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 19 to 21, although till 22 will be up there as well. It says this, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The preacher D. Habit says this, the spirit's fire is quenched whenever his presence is ignored and his promptings are suppressed or rejected, or the fervor which he kindles in the heart are dampened by unspiritual attitudes, criticisms, or actions. And the, the picture we have of quenching is like this, like the, the Holy Spirit has lit a flame and somebody goes in and just puts it out like this. And the fire of God in us is quenched or resisted or hindered or hampered. And as I was preparing this, I was thinking to myself, what believer would ever do that? I mean, no matter what walk you're from, if you are a follower of Christ, you believe certain things about the Holy Spirit. You believe that He is God. You believe that He loves us with the same love that's demonstrated by the Father and by the Holy Spirit. You believe that He brings the very presence of the Godhead into our lives. So that we don't just worship God who is far away, but He actually indwells us. And so the psalmist can write, deep course to deep at the foot of the waterfall, that in that deep place of our spirit, there's this communion that takes place because of the Holy Spirit. He, uh, he makes manifest in our soul the reality of, uh, of our adoption. So we, we know we're adopted. Not like we've got a piece of paper, legally we know, but we know here that we're adopted. He guides us in our lives. He reminds us of the things that Jesus has taught his disciples and wants to speak to us. And obviously he comforts us. And yet Paul does feel it necessary to warn that our attitudes or actions can unintentionally perhaps, and sometimes, I was thinking about it even as we were worshiping, sometimes intentionally because of pride or conservatism or those things, you know, like, oh, what will people think of me if such and such happens? We can intentionally put out the flame of the Holy Spirit and, and hinder the beautiful work, those things that I've described actually from taking place in our lives. But, Last week, Sajid preached a wonderful message and finished in verse 18 on the fact that we're to give thanks in all circumstances, and that precedes this verse. And I, I think one of the ways that we can quench the Holy Spirit is by moaning and moping. You know people that moan and mope. They don't just quench the Holy Spirit. They can quench the atmosphere of, of anything, you know. And what a, what a difference when somebody comes into your house or your life that's, that's positive and full of joy and expectation and full of gratitude. We meet people like that that have gone through incredibly tough situations and you walk away from them feeling uplifted because their attitude is so completely different to what you would expect. We also know from one of the other letters that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus that we can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit through sinful and ungodly attitudes and actions as well. But I think as Paul writes this, surely the one that stands out above all of them in the ways that we can quench the Holy Spirit is what he says, do not despise prophecies. 
Many in the church today fall into one of two extremes, and you might have, might have been a part of a church like this, you may know churches like this, I hope we are not either of these two extremes, it's very, we shouldn't be in extremes anyway. One stream are churches that would proudly wear the label, not the yellow one, but the label of cessationist. And they believe that the gifts that we see in 1 Corinthians 12 have ceased, hence the word cessationist. Those things have come to an end. They quote 1 Corinthians 13, which says these things have passed to, to give the idea that it's no longer a part of our lives. And so there would be no prophecy going on in church. There are no tongues. There are no gifts of healing being passed out. On the other side, the other extreme, our churches that are, and this is certainly not true of all charismatic churches, but they probably would fit into the, the, the charismatic church camp. And that word charismatic comes from the Greek word um, charismata, which means the gifts or the spiritual, the gifts of the spirit. And uh, they believe on, on that end that prophecy is actually the very word of God. Like when somebody prophesies, it's on the same level as scripture. I can remember hearing a story, and I, I don't know if it's urban legend or truth, of a man standing up in a meeting and saying, Thus saith the Lord, that even as my servant Abraham led my people out of Egypt, so today I'm setting you free. And he sat down, very pleased with himself that he brought the word. And a few moments later, he stood up again and says, Thus saith the Lord, I made a mistake. It was Moses, not Abraham. <laughs> and so, what do we do with Paul's command not to quench the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to take a bit of liberty here, not to quench the Holy Spirit by despising prophecy. Uh, do we just put a line through it in our Bible? Anytime you feel temptation to just cross out a scripture because it's difficult, it doesn't fit your theology, don't do that, okay? Rather, underline the scripture. Um, but, but, so if it is for us, if it's not something that we can cross out, how do we encourage prophecy in our churches and in our lives without... Um, with, without falling into the danger of, of being led by declarations that are subjective and can often be wrong. And, um, and this morning, that's what we're going to look at. Four things, although I may only get to three of them this morning. How prophecy functions in the Bible, the limits of prophecy in the New Covenant, how we test prophecy, and then finally, the relevance and practice of prophecy today in our lives. In the Old Testament, the, the, the prophet's that were sent by God carried an awesome responsibility because they spoke the very words of God. And so they could actually say and, and rightly say, thus says the Lord. And so when Isaiah stood up and he said, thus says the Lord, and he proclaimed what he proclaimed, it was literally God speaking through his prophet. And that meant that if you didn't obey the prophet, you were disobeying God himself. And that's, that's a massive responsibility. I'm, for one, I'm pretty grateful that um, I, I don't have to be an Old Testament prophet. In the, the bar, obviously, for those prophets was, was simple but radical. That they, Their prediction had to come true. If they said, God said this is going to happen, if it didn't happen, the Bible tells us, Deuteronomy 18, verse 22, that we can, that, that wasn't from, the God, from God. They were being presumptuous in what they brought. In the New Testament, the equivalent of those Old Testament prophets, those that speak the word of God um, as, it, as it is, as the word, are actually the ascension apostles. And so at the beginning of Thessalonians, when we were going to the book, and um, Paul commends the Thessalonians in chapter one and verse, chapter two and verse 13, because they received the word, he says, as it actually was, as the very word of God. And so Paul brings this gospel and they received it as the word of God to them. In um, 1 Peter chapter three and verse uh, 16, sorry, 2 Peter three sixteen, Peter um, shows that the apostles regarded those letters and those teachings, those papers that were written like, like, um, like uh, the book of Romans, for example, or the letter that we're going through right now, as scripture, as on a par with the scriptures. 
listen to this in verse 16. There are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and uh, unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. In other words, Peter regarded the writings of Paul as scripture. What it means is that we have the Bible, which my Bible's in my bag at the moment, I'm going to hold it up and demonstrate it to you right now. We have the Bible, which is the infallible word of God. And uh, what we have in the New Testament is, is um, under the New Covenant, is prophecy that is much more ordinary in many ways. Ordinary Christians can be prophets. And we read about Judas, not that one, um, Silas, Agabus, the four daughters of Philip who were prophets. We also read in this amazing passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, which really is a kind of seminal passage about prophecy, that... Um, um, that ordinary, that, that Paul says that I want all of you to desire this gift. And if Paul were here today, he would say, he would say, Tom, I want you to have this gift. Gene, I want you to have this gift. He would say, William, I want you to have this gift. People look up immediately when I call their names out like that. Um, and so the Lord wants all of us to have it. And that means that it, it's not some special thing that's kept aside like this weighty thing like the Old Testament prophet. And he also, in that passage, um, teaches that it's a regular part of our ordinary worship services. It should come in like for us on a Friday with a word that um, uh, Tanya brought this morning or the word that Carol brought or the picture that I had about the yokes breaking. And so um, in the New Testament, uh, the prophecy is not seen as the infallible word of God and it speaks therefore to some of the, the limits on the, on, the, on the authority of prophecy in the New Testament, which is my second point. And we have to remember that scripture is always more important than prophecy. And so as a prophecy gets released to us as a church or to you as an individual, it has to submit to the word of God. And we know this because in verse 21, Paul says, not only must we test everything, but we must only hold on to what is good. That means that in the, the normal course of things, there are prophetic words that come that may contain elements that are not good or inaccurate. And... Uh, Maybe they originate from human um, origins rather than from, from div a divine source. The good news is we don't have to stone those prophets. They get it wrong. The Bible just tells us under the new covenant, we just set those words aside. And so there isn't this pressure on us like, like we're quivering like this. We're bringing in the word like, if I get this wrong, they're going to stone me. We, we submit it like this. And as I'll show you in a moment, we, we test that word and we apply it to our life to the degree that it passes those tests. The principle is this though. That prophecy should always be evaluated in light of the Bible and not the other way around. So how do we test prophecy? So you guys have heard of 5G? Well, I'm going to give you 5S. These are 5S tests for testing prophecy. And the reason is because although it's not on the par, on, on the same level as God's word, obviously prophecy, when it's wrong and abused, can still do damage in people's lives. Amen. Well, we know this is true. If you, you prophesy something to somebody and they act on that and it's not from the Lord. And so here's the five S's. Number one is the Savior test. Is what is being said honoring and glorifying of, uh, to Jesus, um, of Jesus, in the name of Jesus? 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, No one speaking in the Spirit of God can ever say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And the truth is that Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. And so nothing can be prophesied that contradicts his nature or the gospel that comes in his name. That's a savior test. Number two is a scripture test. Does it, does it fit together, not just with a part of scripture, because we can always find that part that works for us, can't we? But with the whole of scripture as well. 
In Ephesians 6, 17, it says that the, the word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So how can the Holy Spirit possibly bring a word that, through one of us that contradicts the word which is his sword to us? And so it has to be consistent with that. The third is, is the sanity test. We might call it the common sense test. Is there something being prophesied that will lead us to do something, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, foolish or dangerous? And if it is the case, then we need multiple confirmations. See, I do believe God calls us to do things that the world regards as foolish. And I'm absolutely convinced that God wants us to do things that are dangerous. But if there's a prophetic word that's calling us to those things, we have to make sure that it's from God. And so if it is foolish or dangerous, we've got to go back to the Lord and say, God, common sense tells me this is not the right thing to do, to pick up my family and move them to this place that we know nothing about or to, or to go into this dangerous community and preach the gospel or to give away all of my wealth or whatever it is. Common sense tells me that's insane, but I want to just make sure. But I'm getting this word and I want to make sure it's from you. Thirdly, or fourthly rather, fourthly, it's as a speaker test. Is a word spoken from a spirit of love? It's beautiful that between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, this there's two slices of bread about the gifts and prophecy and tongues here is a chapter all about love. And that the gifts have to flow from a motivation of love. And so is the speaker speaking out of a spirit of love? Is the speaker a lover of Jesus Christ? Is he a follower of Jesus? And lastly, is the speaker submitted to the leaders that are over your life? Sometimes some people will come and bring a prophetic word. I've seen, this happened here. And they'll say, I feel like I've got a word for, let's choose somebody else, for, for Prajeet. I feel like I've got a word for Prajeet. Rob, would you mind coming and just listening as I release this word over Prajeet? Because I feel like it's a directional word and I want it to be submitted to the leadership of this church before it's given. And that's a form of protection. And when that person is submitted, we can have a greater confidence in that word. The last one is the salt test, the last S. And does this word bring life? Does it edify the hearer, helping him or her to become a more passionate disciple of Jesus? And uh, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 speaks about the, the role of um, uh, prophecies to edify, to build up, to strengthen, and to comfort. So to my last point, which is the relevance and the practice of prophecy in the church today. Some years ago, Lynn and I, we used to lead a church in Durban called The Rock, and uh, Well of Life blessed us with a couple that moved from Dubai to Durban, a French couple. I hope they're listening to this right now, and um, I doubt they are. Anyway, this was years ago. This was probably 15 years ago, and so we were, you know, we were an incredibly hospitable couple and we welcomed them um, into our home and into the church and uh, they enjoyed our hospitality and I have to be honest, abused it a little bit as well. Um, but after a while they asked if they could meet with us and I can remember specifically where we were. Um, it was the same hotel that we had got married in and had our reception and uh, we met there and um, this guy said to me, we want to let you know we're leaving your church. I said, great, after spending a month in my home, that's fantastic. Why are you leaving? He says, because um, your church erroneously teaches that prophecy and tongues are still something God does. And so I was a little bit surprised because he was a very young believer to be um, correcting me and changing my theology as a pastor. I thought, oh, oh, what, where does this come from? You know? It turns out they've been invited to a church that is a cessationist church that does believe that the gifts have come to an end. And they have been so clearly taught as they visited that church that 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8 teaches that prophecy has ceased. The text says this, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away, or the, or the imperfect will pass away. 
And they've been told that prophecy and tongues was the imperfect, that, that, that has passed away. And with the coming of the New Testament canon, what has arrived is the perfect. And I completely agree that the New Testament canon is perfect. I, I, I receive that by faith. And I, am, I completely agree that prophecies and tongues are imperfect in the gift. But friends, perfection in 1 Corinthians 13 speaks of the second coming, not of the competition of these gifts with one another. And we see this in verse 12. The first part of it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And we know that we, we don't see everything. We don't see God perfectly. We look through a mirror. We, we, we have impressions in our hearts. There's some moments in worship where I kind of have a sense of God being present. You say, what does he look like? What? What a crazy question. I, I, I can't see him face to face. But one day, friends, I will. One day, like John, who was taken up to heaven, we will stand before him face to face. And that's what Paul is talking about. He goes on in verse 12 and says, Now I know in part, but then... I shall know fully. And you, you surely don't believe that just because you've got a New Testament on your shelf or because you've actually studied it as thoroughly as you can from the, from the one cover to the other cover that you know more than Paul did, for example. This who was taken up to the third heaven and saw the, the incredible mysteries of God. Paul declares, I only know in part, but then I shall fully know. These are promises that relate to our glorification. When Christ comes and we are taken to be with Him, we will see Him face to face and we will know all things, which is super exciting. And I can't wait for that. I have, well, I can't wait, Lord. I just want to be clear. Um, but still, that means until then, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues, which I'm not preaching about today, remains um, available for us and, and is a part of our life as a modern believer. So how do we... Prophesy. And obviously, there's a massive preach on its own. I'm going to just touch on one or two small things. Big things, but short things. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 30 and 31, when Paul is talking about how we administrate the prophetic in the church, he describes the coming of the prophetic word like this. If a revelation comes to someone, so somebody's sitting there and a revelation comes to them. And it may be, and often is, in times of worship or prayer, that God speaks to us for a situation or for something else. At the moment when we, when we actually focus on Him, it's not often when you're watching a sitcom that you get a prophetic word. You might. It's not often when you're playing golf or doing something that you, that you get a, a, a prophetic word, but you might because obviously God can do, it, do whatever He wants to do. But it is most often in a moment like this when we gather together on a Friday to worship, when songs are being sung that declare the glory of God, that God might break in and drop something in our heart. And it may come as, a, as a, a word, I mean literally one word or a phrase. It may come as a, a picture that's dropped into your mind or a, um, or a scripture that God gives you that, that sometimes breaks across your train of thought. Like, like you there, um, love just worshiping the name of Jesus. Like, oh, Jesus, I love you. And suddenly you just have the sense of brokenheartedness. They're like, what? No, no, I love you, Jesus. Like, and then there's a, sense, it can be, there's a sense of urgency or persistence that comes with it. And, so you kind of just brokenheartedness, where did that come from? Kind of put it aside like this and you, Jesus, I love you so much. Brokenheartedness. It's like, what is going on here? Who's irritating me like this? And it's the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention to say that he wants to minister perhaps to you or to somebody else in the area of brokenheartedness. And if that happens to you, we want to encourage you to come to one of the elders, whoever's emceeing the meeting and say, um, this is what I feel God may be saying. And remember, you don't have to say this is what the Lord is saying. We'll stand up and go, thus saith the Lord, because like, 
We can say like, we can be a little bit more humble and say, I feel like God is saying this. The, or, or even, I got a picture in my mind during worship and I feel like God is saying I should share it with you. And so it's possible it could be wrong, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the risk and bring it before you. And uh, the, those elders or whoever's emceeing the meeting will, will, will test it, obviously run it quickly through their head in those five S's because sometimes people bring up words that are like, um, just, I feel like God's saying that he hates you and he wants to, yeah, I wish I'd listened to the word before I let them share it kind of thing because now you're going to have to get up and correct it. And so if it's contrary to the nature of Jesus, Jesus loves us. The Bible's clear about that. Um, the second, th- second uh, thing that they'll do after running it through those five S's in their head quickly is, is it for the congregation? Sometimes it might be for you. Sometimes somebody will come up with a word and you, the, the person leading me will go, you know what? It is a, I feel like that is a word from God, but I feel like it's for you, not for us as a congregation. And, and that's fine, because God may, I mean, of course he's going to speak to us individually as well during meetings. And sometimes you come up with a word that confirms something that's going on. So God's ministering and people are, you know, being healed all over the place. And somebody comes and says, I really feel like God wants to heal this morning, you know. And like, you don't need to share that word because it's happening. It's a, it's a confirmation that gives the leaders a confidence to continue to press in on that thing. We don't have to stop the healing to tell you that God wants to heal kind of thing. And, uh, and sometimes it's just around the timing. You know, we're in a moment in worship where it's just like God word. It's like everyone's glorifying God and honoring God. And then somebody comes in with a word about God wanting to heal. And, and I'm sure it is a, a word from God. But I'll say, well, let this moment finish while, we, while the, the flow of worship is going this way. Let that finish. And when that lands, we'll then turn the attention back as God then begins to minister to us. And so those things are important. Most of the time, the elder response, when you come to them with a prophetic word, is going to be, yes, please share it. And that's because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 that prophecy serves God's purposes amongst the unbeliever and amongst the believer. In, the, in 1 Corinthians 14, 25, 24 and 25, it says, but if, all prof- but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And uh, Wayne Goodham, one of his um, papers, shares an illustration of this is, uh, in his Baptist church. Baptist churches don't often um, hold to too many gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing around. But in this Baptist church, the ministry had come in and in the middle of his preach, he stopped and he, and he said, I, I have a sense that there's somebody in the hall here tonight that has um, left his family. And I feel like God is saying to you that you need to go back to your family and learn to follow God and, uh, and uh, learn God's pattern for family life. And he didn't know that in the unlit balcony of this church, a man had walked into that church a few moments, the first time he'd ever been into the church, and that described exactly what had happened with him. And so he made himself known, he repented, he gave his life to the Lord, and he restored to his family. How powerful for an unbeliever to come in at that moment and for that word to come over his or her life. Secondly, prophecy is God ministering to the believer. And um, 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their building and encouragement and consolation. And who doesn't want that? Upbuilding and, 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 and uh, encouragement and consolation. But not only does it comfort the one who receives the word, but, but it's a strengthening of the one who brings the word as well. And that's why Paul says in the next verse that uh, I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Because he knows that there's power in us releasing those prophetic words. How wonderful to be used by God to minister to somebody else. As Jesus said, it's better to give 
prophetic words than to receive prophetic words. You just say part of that, but not all of it. So one of the things that we do in our Connect group, we started meeting this week, and I think you guys know that we're working through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we have, in our, we have what we call a hot seat. And each time we have a Connect group, somebody gets to sit in the hot seat. We get a volunteer to sit there, and everybody else gathers around and prays, prays a blessing over them. And, and we trust God to release the prophetic. And so we just pray like, hey, Father, won't you bless this person? Thank you for them. Thank you for their job. Won't you bless them as husband or wife or whatever it is in their life? And, and then we say, has anybody picked anything up? And somebody said, well, I had a picture of this. You know, Steve, I feel like this for you or whatever it is. And then we release the prophetic words. And the person in the hot seat feels blessed because God has spoken to them. And those that bring the word feel blessed because God has used them to bless somebody else. Um, Wish Steve, why don't you come up again, please? And I wonder if we could be ready just to sing that last song again. And uh, communion, guys, if you could also be handing out the elements. We're going to combine a few things here as I land the meeting this morning. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. You know, in uh, John 7, 37, it says, 37, 38, I think it is, it says that Jesus stood up on the last and greatest day of the feast and said in a loud voice, and so just to be clear, Jesus also had a loud voice, okay. He said, all who are thirsty, come. All who are thirsty, come. And he said, and, and what did he say after that? And what will happen? When the thirsty come, what happens? He says, streams of living water will flow from your bellies. And the apostle went on to explain exactly what that meant. He said he was talking about the Holy Spirit who had not yet been poured out. You see, it's the Spirit that gives the gifts. We don't go to shop somewhere and buy three prophetic words. Thanks so much. Christianity is about relationship. It's not about performance. It's not about... Like, okay, now I've got to do this thing. I've got to prophesy, you know. It's about relationship. It's about what flows from that relationship. And so everything in the kingdom has to do with thirsting for and faith in someone. Thirsting for the Holy Spirit. Faith in the Holy Spirit. And so prophecy is actually a matter of intimacy, not efficacy. It's not how much we produce, but how deep we are planted in the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we get to break bread together. And we, we're reminded of the wonderful work of the Godhead in our life, that the Father so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit has been poured out, having been a coward and run away before, now filled with the courage and the power of God to preach His gospel message. And He preaches and He preaches until people are cut to the core and cry, what must we do to be saved? And He says, repent and believe and you will receive the promise. The promise is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only thing, if I can use that in that context, that is called the promise of the Father. Him. He is the promise. Him in us is the promise. And it comes through the new covenant. It comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. As we open our lives up, we invite God in. And so then we become those instruments of the Holy Spirit, that His Spirit can flow out of us. 
And so we're going to do that this morning. And even as we break bread and as you break bread at home, I hope you haven't signed off yet. We're going to break bread. We're going to actually trust for the Spirit of God to be poured out upon us this morning. There's power in the sacraments. I believe that. This is not a ritual. This is not a cheese biscuit per se. It's a symbol of the body of Jesus given for us. A reminder that in in Him as the one loaf that is broken apart that we can each share and we are part of the one loaf. We We come together in Him. One body with one another and one with God the Father. And the cup with this very watered down grape juice we must have run out. It doesn't matter what's in here because it's what it symbolizes. It symbolizes the blood of Jesus. This plastic cup symbolizes the cup of the new covenant that when we drink, we are brought into it and we receive the promised Holy Spirit. The friends, this is the body of Jesus given for you. Eat it now in remembrance of Him. This is the cup of the new covenant, the blood of Jesus. Drink this now in remembrance of Him. so profoundly grateful that you saved us. So profoundly grateful that we are forgiven and have been set free from the condemnation and wrath that is ours. And we are so profoundly grateful that you did not leave us alone but sent your Holy Spirit. And we are, we welcome you this morning, Holy Spirit, into our lives. We open ourselves up. We give you room and space in us to fill us afresh this morning, whether we're in this hall or at home. We say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We want to prophesy, Lord. We want to speak in tongues. We want to pray for the sick and they be healed. But not because of anything in us, but Lord, we want to be the instruments of your Holy Spirit at work in us and through us to a world that needs this living water, Lord. Now I pray, Lord God, that we would never quench the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would never quench you by despising, by rejecting, by walking away from the gifts that you have given us. And I pray that there is a fresh outpouring in our lives, Lord God. I pray prophetic words to flow. I pray for... um, the tongue, the gift of tongues that come upon people, Lord God. For them to, in their prayer life to just be encouraged as they pray, Lord God, with their heavenly language. I pray for words of knowledge and words of wisdom, even as we spend time in the next two months as connect groups going through this, that you would unlock and release something. And Lord, that the, the, the fire of your spirit would not be quenched, but would grow, Lord God, and burn brightly in our lives and in this city. And the words of the song that we'll sing as we land now, Lord God. Your, your presence is the air I breathe. Your living word 
spoken to me is, is the bread that I eat. We are desperate. We are thirsty. We are hungry for you, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.